You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 9 of Quarantine and Chill, the podcast within Disability After Dark where I sit down with disability thought leaders and disabled people that I love and care about and talk to them about their experiences within the pandemic and how the pandemic is, ex- is affecting their disabled experience and how they are managing being disabled during COVID-19 because I don't think we're having enough disabled voices in that conversation. So again, I'm using my platform to bring disabled voices to the fore around COVID-19 and I'm really excited to bring you episode 9 of Quarantine and Chill. This week for Quarantine and Chill, we pop over across the pond to reconnect with one of my past guests and one of my favorite guests on the show, Charlie Garner. She lives in the UK with a host of different illnesses, fibromyalgia, IBS, chronic fatigue, asthma, many, many things. And we talk today about how she is dealing within the social distancing and quarantine and COVID times. And she tells us that she's really actually enjoying feeling more included because everybody has to slow down. She tells us what she's scared about if she were to go into hospital being allergic to certain things and how that would affect her. She tells us what the best parts and worst parts of social distancing for her are. And as always, she gives advice to non-disabled people and disabled people about how they can manage throughout the pandemic, but we have a really interesting chat also about um, how she thinks the UK government should be doing more. We talk about her feelings about productivity and disability during this time. A lot of stuff comes out here, and I'm really excited to reintroduce you to my friend, Charlie Garner, right now on Quarantine and Chill. Charlie Garner, hi! Hello! I'm so happy to see you again. It's been such a long time. I know. It's amazing to be back. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. Of course. Well, I mean, we're friends now. You and I hung out when I was in the UK. So I was like, of course I have to ask Charlie back on. And Absolutely. You and it was the best time when you came to the UK. I really wanted you to come back. It was had so much fun. We, okay, for the for listeners, I went, I, I talked to Charlie way before I had planned my trip to the UK. And then I was going over there and I, I, was texting Charlie and I was like, I'm coming, we should hang out. And she's like, okay. So we ended up taking a bunch of pictures of me in Canary Wharf. Just having, a, we just had a laugh that it was so much fun. We spent the whole afternoon together just walking around like Canary Wharf in London, which is, in, which is like a business park financial area there. And we just looked so silly with me in my little coat and hat taking pictures. We just had fun. And Charlie was somebody that I... You know, I love this show because I get to meet people like Charlie from all over the world. And then uh, when the when the time arrives, we become friends. And that's what happened. Yeah, it was great. And we had a little impromptu photo shoot. If you ever come back, we'll do like a proper scheduled. Oh, no, I'm time. coming. It, well, whenever we're allowed to fly again, <laughs> I will be there. Yeah. But for those you know, of you... My favorite... Sorry, my favorite thing of that afternoon was walking through Canary Wharf, like spotting all the hot guys. You were like, "He's my type. He's my type. He's not my type." Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's like the best time. That was my favorite. We because they were all in suits there, and everyone should know that I have an affinity for men in suits. So, especially British men in suits is my favorite thing. So I was like, "That one, that one, yep, that one with the beard, that one." <laughs> 
It was a good time. Um, but enough about my love for men in suits. Um, <laughs> you were a guest on the show. I can't remember what episode you were on. It was beginning of 2019. So it was a year and a, a year and a half ago-ish. Wow, already? Wow. Yeah, it was a while ago. Wow. Um, but just so that people can be reminded of who you are, can you reintroduce yourself to the audience and tell us who you are and what you do and kind of how your disabilities impact you day to day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, hi, everyone. I'm Charlie. Um, and like Andrew said, I'm based in the UK. Um, I have a number of different uh, invisible illnesses um, and disabilities. Um, there's quite a long list um, of them, so I won't bore you with all of them, but uh, the worst ones that impact me day to day are fibromyalgia, migraines, IBS. Um, I also have very bad allergies um, and anaphylaxis, um, and then also mild asthma and, and other things like that. So a whole hodgepodge of, uh, of different <laughs> disabilities. One of the disabilities we talked about I, you know, in our episode, was your allergy to sperm? Yes, yeah, yeah, that is. And you can go back and listen to the original episode if you want to know all about that in detail. Um, yeah, one of the things is I am allergic to sperm, but there's no sperm in my quarantine, so I'm fine. So, I'm yay, amazing. So, you know. <laughs> and it's funny you bring up IBS because I'm having a flare today because my body's like, oh, stress is fun. Like, let's feel worried about COVID. Oh, yeah, let's make everything hurt today. So, I, I get that. Um, but we're here today to talk to you about your experience with COVID-19 and your experience. Now, let me be clear. You don't have COVID-19. I mean, your experience, <laughs> your experience with social distancing and like quarantine and all that stuff as a disabled person. Because I don't think why I like this series, Quarantine and Chill, is we're not talking enough to disabled people about their experiences with COVID and their experiences with um, quarantine and how social distancing is affecting them and all the ableism that comes as a part of all this and all the things that disabled people are experiencing they're not being given a proper platform so i wanted to use my platform to just be like hey i'm sitting here we're all sitting here we need content that we know and trust so let's why don't i use my voice to talk to disabled people and you are i'm so glad you reached out and said i want to do this because i have missed talking to you so i want to ask you um living with those host of disabilities you kind of laid out for us do you feel a sense of kind of that this new normal is something that's kind of familiar for you as a disabled person? Does it feel, or chronically ill person rather, does it feel um, familiar and kind of like comfy for you? Because for me, it's like, oh yeah, well, this is just an extension of me having to stay home already. So how does that feel for you? Um, I think in, in a lot of ways, it feels kind of quite normal, but the pressure has been taken off. So I now work at home. Um, and I don't have to go out and everyone's online talking to me um, and everything's moved online. So it, it's very similar to kind of normal life. Obviously, I've lost a lot of things. Like I'm not usually um, housebound at the moment. Um, I am going to work and I do go out of the house to do things and go dancing and things like that. Um, so I have lost a lot, but it actually does take me back to a time when um, when I was more socially isolated just out of you know, my health restrictions. Um, so there was a time in 2015, which is actually feels really quite comparable to now. I, I got ill very quickly and, and over a short period of time. And it was a time when I just finished university. And so everyone else had kind of gone their separate ways. And then I was at home and I was suddenly really ill and I was housebound for at least six months. Um, and the difference between that and this is so striking because the first week we were all socially isolated here, I had loads of people reach out to me to check I was okay. And loads of people saying, look, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to keep everyone in the loop. And we're going to start these Zoom quizzes. And we're going to dance online. And we're going to do all of these things. It really hit me that first week how included I felt um, and how I didn't feel kind of abandoned. And I think when you're um, a disabled person at home and socially isolated when no one else is socially isolated, right. everyone else in your life just, they just keep, they just keep moving. Unless they're one of your caregivers or they live at home with you, everyone's life just moves on without you and you can very easily become forgotten. And one of the things about this is that everyone's in the same situation. So I think um, it's it's easier to involve everyone, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's easier to put everyone together. Like, and it's interesting because a lot of people have said to me when I've done these episodes, they said to me, like, oh, I feel this sense of loss. I, I feel this sense of, like, of, of like, I, like 
everyone else is getting the thing that I've been fighting for forever. Do you feel, do you have a sense of like anger on that? Do you, you're like, well, now, now you understand what my life is. Like now you get it. Cause I don't know. I, I did initially agree with that perspective of like, haha, now you get to see what my life is like, haha. But now I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to give people a chance to, I want to use my expertise as a disabled person to give them give them a sense of comfort do you feel like do you, do you still feel like haha now you get to understand or like do you want to use your experiences social distancing from before to guide somebody yeah no i didn't have that sense of aha this is you know this is what it's like i think um and you know this has been uniquely hard for everyone you know even though i've done it before um and i'd say it's easier this time it's still not easy for anyone you yeah know, still inducing and hard um and i think you're right in that you know people who are able-bodied and and healthy can learn a huge amount from people who are disabled and who have done this before um I, yeah i didn't have that sense of like oh now you understand because also i think it's very easy to say that now that everyone's stuck inside they they do understand that experience whereas actually what i'm seeing a lot from some of my abled body friends is if you don't come out of quarantine with an, a new hobby or have mastered the violin or have started a new business or you're not productive then you're failing yeah and for me that's like all very well and good if you if you are healthy and your mental health is good and you're physically able to during your quarantine period um actually achieve something and do something creative or push forward in your business that's great for you, um, but don't put that pressure on everybody because we're not all able to do it, um, particularly disabled people who are now having increased difficulties in doing their practical functioning. Yeah, like... Um, I, like I um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. It's just there is a... I think just because you're stuck in your house all the time doesn't necessarily mean you have a complete understanding of living in pain or living with chronic illnesses or needing to go for treatment all the time or that kind of thing. It's still a really different experience, um, but still one that we can provide um, a lot of it, um, a lot of help and understanding of like, yeah, how do you deal with being socially on your own and, and what can you put in place to kind of help people to, um, to feel less alone um, when they are physically on their own? Yeah, I certainly agree with the what, with what you say about pain. I think being socially isolated and socially distant is very different from being socially isolated and socially distant well in pain or having chronic pain or having IBS pain or having like disability pain. It's co a completely different experience. So when people say to me things like, oh, well, we're all going through it. It's like, yes, we are. But some of us are going through it in a vastly different way. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that. <laughs> just because you're at home now doesn't mean you <coughs> it doesn't mean excuse me doesn't mean you really get what being in pain the whole time is so I think that's something we have to as we talk about quarantine you know for everyone we need to remember that like I, I'm noticing a lot of people body people saying oh I'm getting really tired often or I'm feeling body pain or I'm feeling like a lot of stuff that people with disabilities feel every day and I'm kind of going like well yeah that, that'll happen to you like how can how can I guide you through because it's something that we're all experiencing and I think something that you know chronically ill and disabled people hear all the time when we're not in a kind of lockdown situation is oh it must be so nice for you to be able to nap all the time or I wish I didn't have to go out and see my friends I wish I could just cancel plans and you're you know and 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 I think it's just that that feeling of well it's it's not it's not quite the same thing. Like I don't work full time, not because I don't want to work full time and I like having loads of time to sleep and loads of time to be in pain and stay in my bed. Um, that isn't, that isn't the reason that I do. I'd love to be able to just, you know, never to have that time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think there's that difference between kind of, um, having to be at home and, and now kind of we're all getting to choose to. Obviously we have to because, you know, we want to limit the spread and we don't want to um, spread it around and we're being restricted by the government and by lockdown and things like that. Um, but if you're still fairly healthy while you're at home, um, it is still a really different experience than, than if, you've, if you're kind of enforced to be at home because you're, cause you're so ill that you can't leave. Yeah, exactly. Um... I did have a question because you're in the UK and this is totally, this is sort of COVID related, but just because I wanted to, I want to bring up your thoughts on Boris Johnson. Um, oh. <laughs> what do you, I've been watching his, his crappy responses to things um, uh -huh. and then he contracted COVID 
And he still said things like, I'm going to shake people's hands and I'm still going to, like, what did you, as somebody from the UK, kind of watching all that unfold really close uh-huh. to it, or closer than I am, rather, how do you, how did you feel about all that? So I think I will say that I have tried to, particularly in the last three to four weeks, I've tried to limit my exposure to the news and Smart. the government's game. It's just because my anxiety and my mental health, I'm just trying to look after myself. And I know that any big updates like they're changing the lockdown rules or things like that will filter through to me. So I'm not the most up to date. Um, But I will say things here in the UK are pretty bad. I mean, we've crossed today 20,000 deaths. So we're the fourth highest country in the world for deaths right now. Um, Behind like the US, Spain, France, um, Italy, and then it's the UK. I think we're fifth at the moment. Um, So there's obviously something that the UK is not done correctly, um, given that, you know, in in theory, we should be able to do this pretty well. We have the NHS. Everyone should have an equal access to uh, health care, particularly emergency care. Um, but for some reason, we have failed. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone is fighting very hard in the UK. I think most people are obeying the lockdown pretty well. And um, everyone's supporting our NHS massively. Um, but we do have a huge prevalence of COVID over here. And we have a lot of deaths. And that's really scary. Um, and I think part of that is the, the government were pretty slow to socially isolate us and to socially kind of restrict us. Um, I think the lockdown didn't come as quickly as as people expected it to. France and Italy and Spain were all locked down weeks before us or or at least sort of 10 days a week before us. Um, So I think the UK's response has been has been pretty slow. um, And I think we're paying for it now, which is, um, you know, a real um, a real struggle. Um, And yeah, obviously, with with Boris Johnson having having been in hospital and in ICU, he's still not working. So I'm not super up to date on the politics of, you know, who's making decisions and things, but I wouldn't be particularly surprised if a lot of decision-making is kind of stalling because our prime minister is still off sick. Um, So yeah, it's been, it's been a scary time here in the UK. Definitely. What do you think, again, it's good that you've limited your, your engagement with the politics because it's, it's it's tough to watch. I know. What do you Mm -hmm. think you're the, the NHS and the UK government should be doing for disabled people, or do you have an opinion on that? Um, I think I think so much of this discussion has just switched to COVID. A lot of um, I think a lot of disabled people are not having their questions answered around their existing disabilities. So what I hear a lot from people is, you know, my operations have been cancelled, and and we don't have an expected date of when we can reschedule them, and um, I'm struggling to access my consultants and things like that. And of course, it's a huge balancing act, you know, for the NHS and the government. They have to prioritise COVID. But I do, there is a worry that there isn't a lot of, um, you know, kind of proactive management of all the other things going on. And I think what I'm hearing from other people is that actually they're more concerned about their existing health conditions than they are about possibly contracting COVID. Yeah. Um, all the resources are going into like into treating COVID and preventing COVID as it I mean to be honest kind of as it should I mean it's such a difficult situation I mean I had no idea how when you have limited medical resources how you um you know how you start to think about where you allocate those it's it's such a horrible task yeah I I don't think that any of it like I I live in a in a supported housing home in Toronto and like they are struggling for masks, they're struggling for the care staff, the care staff are afraid of coming in, like, we're mm-hmm. afraid as the clients of, like, you know, we we, we appreciate the care, but it's scary, because, like, what if somebody gets it, or what if somebody, like, is sick, and then the whole program shuts down, and there's a whole, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of stuff that we don't know living in these situations, and, like, just from a, from a, not even, from a pseudo-medical standpoint of where I live, like, if they need to get stuff, I don't know how they get them. I don't know how, I don't know who mm-hmm. they would go to. So it is definitely a daunting task. Mm-hmm. I just think that all the government should be prioritizing disabled people more, just mm-hmm. generally from mm-hmm. this. And that is one of my hopes that the outcome of COVID, after all is said and done, in like ten years, disability mm-hmm. will be given more weight than it is right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the NHS is suffering from chronic underfunding um again i won't go into too much of the politics of it but you know the nhs struggles at the best of times so um it's already got long wait times and and things like that and and so when when a 
we could certainly, I think, have been more prepared for a big, a big virus hitting like this. I mean, no one could predict it, but it has happened in the past and we have had scares and things where not pandemics on this scale, but I think with the amount of air travel that we all do nowadays, these pandemics are going to happen at least probably once in everyone's lifetimes. Like, you know, I don't think it's beyond the kind of possibility of the government to have predicted it. Um, and I think maybe the NHS wasn't quite prepared um, and it wasn't funded enough. But or <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's I just I, my heart goes out to all the disabled people who can't have surgery, who can't have mm. certain things, who can't get a hold of consultants just so they can have their day today because of mm. this. And that's that's the part that hurts me that like upsets mm. me for the disabled community the most. But let's go back to you for a minute and let's talk <laughs> about what for you is the best part of social distancing and what for you is the worst part of social distancing as a disabled person. So uh, purely on a personal note of not like something that's been really nice in the last few weeks of um, of not being able to go very far is I've been walking more and I lo- I moved um, I moved house in November last year so I'm quite new to the area that I live in and I I live near a river and I've discovered I've been doing like little 5k walks um, when I've been feeling well enough to and um, I've discovered all these like nice new places that are so close to my house and I think if I was uh, not socially isolating I wouldn't have found those so that's one oh, really nice. good thing and I, I, I've seen loads of wildlife like I go out in the evenings to avoid other people and I saw a barn owl the other day which is super rare so that was very exciting wow. um, but that's just like a me living my life just as a normal it's literally person. like <laughs> Harry Potter it's like Harry Potter <laughs> well I do live like um, yeah five miles away from Oxford which is where they filmed a lot of Harry Potter episodes. oh wow so it is literally you're literally in Harry Potter yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but I think from from like thinking about it from an accessibility point of view, my favorite thing about this situation right now has been how how adaptable everybody has been because everyone's in the same situation like we were saying before. Everyone has been moving online, which means um, I feel incredibly included and it means I've been included in things I haven't necessarily been able to do um even before covid or lockdown or things i can do more things um that i you know that i wouldn't necessarily be able to do regularly yeah so there's a there's a dance class that i want to do in london with one of my friends but getting to london just to do a dance class is like it's like a two-hour trip there and two-hour trip back so there's no way i would necessarily i'd only be able to do that once in a blue moon and i'd have to prioritize that and i haven't made it happen yet and now those dance classes happen online every weekend and if i'm well enough i can do them and that's wonderful, you know, it's making, uh, you're cutting out all of the traveling for people, you're cutting out, um, you know, all of the like having to get public transport or drive, um, yeah. and they're suddenly online and suddenly more accessible. And I just think that's really great. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I remember when you came to visit me in London, like, I remember you telling me over WhatsApp, like, okay, I'm going to get on the train now, I'll be there, in, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to... Two hours. <laughs> started the traveling and I was like okay but like yeah so like and also like, like it's cool that we can have dance classes over zoom now like it's cool that that's something people can actually do yeah absolutely and you know it's not exactly the same I mean I like to partner dance so um normally I dance with other people so you can't obviously dance with another person um over 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 you know the internet but you can certainly do little routines and also my my social group dancing the the people that normally run the dance events have been doing like facebook lives where they dj and they play music and everyone just chats to each other on facebook and that's the type of thing that you know everyone feels included and there have been times where i don't go to dance events because i'm not well and i it makes me think oh well could they share these things as a live even if they're having a live event and include the people who are left at home that so they can feel included it's that it's that kind of thing yeah and i mean i think i'm seeing a lot of um concerts that were going to be live concerts the artist saying okay we'll still you can still buy a ticket but you can buy a ticket to my online event Mm. so that's really cool because it means like a lot of the big stadium things where you would want to go see somebody live now you can see it in your living room and my Mm. hope is that like all this stuff all these programs people are putting in place now will remain going forward so that if somebody really can't you can pay a price and go see your favorite artist from your house. Mm, absolutely. And there's stage shows and the National Ballet are doing things online. And um, because it's because everything is now so inaccessible to everyone, I think it's a kind of 
um, it's about the number of people it affects and 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 I, I don't know I mean how how important they sort of deem it to be I suppose because it's now everyone and literally no one can go to the theatre no one can go to the cinema no one can go to gigs they, yeah. they moved it online um, but I hope that that will have an impact and that they can keep seeing doing things online because they've seen how easy it is to do really right do, now I know when we talk before when we've talked in person like I know there's you have fatigue stuff happening you have tiredness and chronic illnesses and pain. do you feel when you have to sit on zoom for all this stuff do you feel because sometimes when I sit on zoom even me right now I'm like oh I'm so tired I'm exhausted like I don't want to I don't want to sit on Zoom for eight hours a day. It's too much. Do you feel like the, your disability is exacerbating your ability to just like sit there and be included, or do you feel like Zoom is a lot? Yeah, I think I. I mean, I've been included on a few Zoom calls where there are like eight people, and you know, people are just generally chit chatting or they're like playing a game. And because you're playing a game of a quiz over Zoom with eight people, it's um, it doesn't move very quickly and for me it does tire me out a huge amount I also had a zoom call with my family and after an hour I was pretty exhausted and I was like I need to like I need to go I think for me I'm setting time limits on it um, and as much as those kind of group zoom calls are great um, for keeping people in touch I'm not finding them the most proactive for actually like the cost benefit of of spending the time because it's draining me a lot I'm getting very very tired from them but I'm not really feeling like I'm that socially engaged and I've got that much benefit from them. So I must admit I am prioritizing talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. So like having a Skype call with someone for 20 minutes or half an hour or an hour, like I'm finding that's actually much better for my happiness and my mental health than kind of sitting for hours and hours on kind of group calls. Yeah, I, I would say the same. I feel like group calls are really hard for me to focus. I, I didn't realize how much trouble I had focusing until I was forced to sit and like, five or six mm. zoom calls a day and i was like wow this is really hard to like sit and pay attention to you like i don't care because i could just click you off and mm -hmm. like it's you know <laughs> it's really hard to focus on on a bunch of people at once so i, I agree with you one-on-one -on -one calls it forces you yes. to like pay attention a bit more um you also mentioned that because of your uh, your we'll get back to what's the worst part of social distancing in a minute but you, you mentioned that like you're sleeping a lot because of COVID, which is which is totally great. I'm coming in quarantined. tired. I'm quarantined tired all the time. Um, are you do you are you having weird like COVID disability dreams? I'm having anxiety dreams, um, and and weirdly they're kind of focusing around work. Um, so I get this thing where like if I start a new job for the first month, I will dream about that new job as as my brain is learning, and I found since we've been isolated my anxiety around work has gone up a lot and my anxiety around kind of just generalized anxiety has gone up a lot and so i'm having these kind of weird um yeah these kind of uh, just anxiety dreams i think they are um i am definitely i mean i'm just i'm i think quarantined is a great way to put it um i have been I think more sick in the last since we kind of started this lockdown period than I have been in the last six months. Um, I was actually doing, you know, doing fairly well, and actually I feel more less day to day stable now. And I suspect some of that's anxiety. I expect it's changing routine. Um, I expect it's a bit of, like loss of exercise. Like my ex exercising and dancing is when I can do it is really good for my fibro to keep that kind of pain yeah. down and bay. Um, and I'm trying to walk, but it's, you know, it's not quite the same thing. Um, and I think it's part of it is when I have to leave the house, sometimes I push myself through, I have a motivation to push myself through being ill. So there's a lot of days and people say to me when I, when I go to work, they say like, oh, if you're not well, you shouldn't be here. And I find myself saying, if I didn't come to work on a day when I didn't feel well, I would never come to work. Yeah. <laughs> because you, if you're chronically ill and you're ill every day, you have to work through that or, you know, whatever, if, if you are working. And I am lucky enough to be well enough at the moment where I am working. Um, and But when I'm at home and I don't have to go to an office and I don't have to get a bus on time to get, the, to get myself there, it's so much harder kind of to 
to kind of push through being ill. Like I find there's a lot of times when I'm like, I just feel really ill and I want to go to sleep or I'll finish a day's work and I, it's five o'clock and I'm like, okay, I'll just have a nap now. Um, and I think if I was outside of the house and I had to, you know, and I was in my office and I was coming home, I probably would push through more of that and not just give in to the symptoms and and sleep. And I think there's maybe an argument to say that giving in a bit is good because it means you're listening to your body and you're actually resting. But there's an argument the other way for me particularly that my symptoms don't get better when I sleep. It's not like, oh, I'm ill and I need to rest and I feel better. I feel just as bad when I wake up and if I went didn't go to sleep. So I, I should just, there's a, there is an argument to say you just keep, you just keep going because it doesn't get any better with rest anyway. So why should you waste that time resting and sleeping? <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel with IBS pain. It's like, okay, I could just, could rest for sure, but it'll still hurt. So I may, yeah. as well, may as well do something while I while it's hurting. Make the best of it. But in this time, I have found it, I, I have been finding it really hard to motivate myself to push through that when I don't feel well. It's so easy when this room is where I, you know, it's where I, I work and where I sleep and where I rest. And so it's very easy to just be like, well, I'm in my bed. I could just lie down and yeah, have a just nap. Just close your eyes <laughs> for a few minutes. Yeah. Um, and so what is, so just to go back on something you just said like people this big adage of like if you're well don't be here is coming out coming kind of to the forefront again we're all saying if you're not well don't be here how would mm-hmm. you change that term of term of phrase for for like disabled people who are never well sometimes mm-hmm. but still have to work like how would you make the, could you change that term of phrase to um include disabled people more do you think is it possible I think so. I mean, I think what you have to do is you have to empower the disabled person to make their own decisions around when they're well enough to work and when they're not. Um, and for me, a really big thing would be more flexibility around working. So um, something that's happened unexpectedly for me right now is that well, my income is the biggest it's ever been since I started working at 18 um, or since I started, you know, I left university and, and actually had a tried to have a full time job. Um, and the reason for that is that I work, I mean, I'm a part-time photographer, but I'm also work part-time for the university. She is the best part-time photographer. So if, <laughs> when all this is done, hire her. Oh, well, thank you so much. Anyone in the UK, uh, hit me up. Um, but you know that, you know, I think all creatives know that running a business is not easy um, and it's very hard to make a full-time living from something like that. Yep. Um, so I have a part-time job at the university for two and a bit days a week. Um, and so I use that to bring in some steady, some steady income, particularly through like quiet seasons for, you know, I shoot a lot of weddings. So in the winter, it's very quiet. Um, and obviously my photography business at the moment, um, everything's been cancelled because, um, you know, I've, I've can- I cancelled all of my shoots because, you know, it's not um, responsible to do it because it's not, um, uh, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's not, uh, yeah, it's definitely not safe, but it's not essential. It's not essential and we're trying to go out for any essential things. Yeah. Um, and obviously all the weddings that I was shooting have been cancelled and postponed until later in the year. Um, so money was a little bit of a worry um, a month ago, but my my part time job offered me extra hours to increase my hours, and I work now work eighty percent of the time. I work four days a week for them, which is great, um, and I really enjoy that job. I really love it, um, but I don't think I would be well enough to work four days a week in an office, um, and. So I sort of said to them, well, whilst we're all working from home, yes, I'm happy to increase my hours. And and the reason for that is because I can wake up at half past eight, turn my laptop on and I can work at nine o'clock. Yeah. And I do. And, and work have been wonderful. They've been really good. They've given everyone a lot of um, flexible flexibility during COVID. You know, they've said we all understand that you have other responsibilities. You have kids at home. You have care. You have to give care to elderly parents. You have to go and help vulnerable people we don't expect you to work a standard nine to five. We expect you to get, you know, your hours done. And if you're struggling to get your hours done, talk to your manager. But if we're getting emails from you in the evening, if we're getting emails from you on a Saturday, we're not going to come and chase you and say, why were you not here Monday to Friday, nine till five? Yeah. Now for me, I don't have kids at home and I don't have dependents and I'm not really looking after other vulnerable people. Um, 
but for me that flexibility of knowing that actually if I get to three o'clock in the afternoon and I need to sleep I need I need to go to bed and I need to sleep if I start sending emails at nine o'clock in the evening to make up those hours and I'm feeling better or another day I'm working on a Saturday like I did some work this morning it's a Saturday um no one is going to come along and say why were you doing this because at the moment everyone is working flexible hours yeah um and I think to go back to that question of how how can we help disabled people in terms of access to work and about saying, well, you know, if you're not well, you shouldn't be here. Um, you know, flexible working hours where you let the disabled person drive their working pattern and you let them move that working pattern to when they need it is great because it's all very well saying, well, I mean, ideally I'd work in the evenings all the time because I'm not a morning person and my productivity is best between like three and nine in the evening. Yeah, because but you can't be a morning person because your body is like, what? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm always in more pain until lunchtime. Like That's the worst time. But officers don't run like that. Um, but I think I would really love to see, um, you know, more flexibility given in working patterns um, to to people who have chronic issues and, and to people so that people can make their own decisions about when they're most productive yeah. and that they don't always feel guilty or accountable. You know, I think a lot of workplaces are quite flexible, but you have to continually tell them. So every time you have to say, oh, I don't feel well this afternoon, I'm taking the time off and I'll make it up tomorrow. It makes you feel guilty that you're doing something wrong. Whereas if you have a general broad policy of I work flexibly, I may not be online if you need me, but if you send me an email, I'll get back to you in 24 hours. I think that's a fair and reasonable adjustment. Yeah, and I think also what you were saying, like the emails that a lot of these companies are sending out right now saying we're here for you, we're here to help you, whatever you need. I'd love to see an email specifically drafted to disabled workers that says like, hey, if you are disabled and you are having a higher chronic pain day or you're having a higher disability thing or your disability is impacting your productivity because of COVID, but don't worry about it. Take your time. Like we're saying all this stuff to, again, non-disabled people. We're saying like, go home and take care of your loved ones. Do all this stuff. We're not saying anything directly to disabled people who are trying to do all the same stuff, but living with disability plus COVID. So I think I'd love to see these companies send out these blanket emails to their disabled clientele and their workers saying, look, if disability is impacting you here, don't worry about it, take your time. Mm. And I think it's so variable, isn't it? I mean, my the, the, the people I work for, they were wonderful in preparing for this. You know, I was um, called into a meeting with my manager very early on, like kind of late February, March time. And, and they said, look, we're preparing for possible lockdown. Like we want to give you the choice to work from home to protect yourself earlier than other people might be. That's great. We know that you're um, immunocompromised. And I mean, I'm not strictly on the list of vulnerable people that the government are saying. I mean, here we have a list of um, people who are severely immunocompromised that are supposed to stay in for 12 weeks. So sort of um, people on chemotherapy and um, people with organ transplants. High risk, like yeah, yeah. Very high risk, yeah. And I'm not on that list, but but I had that understanding from work where they said, you know, we want to give you the choice to work from home earlier than other people because we don't want you to have to come into the office to keep... Um, you know, keep exposing yourself to being to being exposed to COVID if it does start to spread around. Um, so it's so variable. I mean, you might hit on a great workplace where they're super supportive and they are proactive about these things, um, but other other places are not. I've had jobs in the past where I can imagine if I was still there, it would have been a real battle, um, and they would have been checking up on me to see if I was online, if I was working from home, and and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, maybe we need more sort of regulation over it. Maybe we need more kind of drive from the top down from government to kind of advise and or make law that they need I don't know reasonable adjustments and I mean it is law here that we need reasonable adjustments but it's so flexible on what that term reasonable adjustments means yeah Um, and it's often very geared towards physical reasonable adjustments like you know you have to make your workplace accessible for a wheelchair which is obviously fantastic we need that we need physical access to spaces and workspaces Um, but I think the kind of reasonable adjustments in terms of energy expenditure and flexible working is not always taken into account. And I think this will, this kind of pandemic hopefully will highlight that and that energy is something that disabled people don't have a lot of. It's usually in short order, it's usually sporadic Uh or it's something that I think, and you know, I never thought about about energy as being as part of a, as part of a, 
accessibility policy and now i'm like oh that should totally be a part of it like why is our energy part of that so i think like yeah and i think governments and businesses and i love that your business took the first step to like call you into a meeting and say hey we care about you so want to stay home like yeah um and then so i just want to ask you what is the worst you talked about the best parts of social distancing like being able to be more included and being able to like go outside a little bit and see the wildlife and like have some more time for you what is the worst part of social distancing for you though i think um and again i don't think it's something related to my disability i think it's something that everyone a lot of people are struggling with i think it's just being away from the people that i love um you know i have i don't live with either of my partners and i haven't seen my family since all of this started and and that's really hard you know doing everything online um particularly when people that i love some of them are struggling with their own health problems and their own mental health problems um not being able to support them or not getting to see them um is really difficult and that's something that i think you know no matter whether you're um disabled or not you're having that experience right now of, of lack of contact with people and um, lack of physical contact as well i just want to give someone a hug i just want a good fuck quite frankly <laughs> like i just want a good fuck quite frankly. it's been it's been what is it what is today the 26th of 5th of april it's been three months me too me like, too i'm on about eight weeks so i'm not quite as long as you but oh yeah, don't worry about- in about four weeks we get there <laughs> let me it's Everything starts looking hot because you're like, I can't. Um, so one of the questions that I've been asking everybody about COVID, as a disabled person, what what scares you the most about COVID-19 as a disabled person? And what do you think, just so people understand the severity of like, and the importance of staying home for us, can you outline for me, like, what do you think would happen to your body if you were to contract covid with your fibro and with your ibs and with all the things that you live with mm-hmm. what do you think would happen to you and what scares you the most mm. so i think um i mean i'm i i think i'm in a pretty privileged position um with some of my uh, disabilities to do with you know specifically with covid i think i am um I mean, it's hard to say because perfectly healthy people have have died from it, and people who are fairly immunocompromised have also pulled through from it. Yeah. Um. So it's such a variable illness where you really can't predict it. Um. But I think from the doctor's point of view, nothing that I have puts me at very much severe risk of being immunocompromised. Um. So in a way, I'm very lucky. Um. And, uh, but I think I mean I listened to some of your other guests on on quarantine and chill. I think Maggie was saying that. One of her biggest fears is being in hospital um, without the access to all the other things that normally would, yeah. would support her. Um, and uh, for me, that's that that hit home because when I go into hospital, because my food is so regulated, because my allergies are so severe, normally if I'm in hospital, someone will prepare my food in my home or in one of the homes that I know is safe, like my mum's or my brother's, and they will bring me food in hospital. Yeah. Now, at the moment, if I was to be hospitalised, they wouldn't let anyone else in. Now, maybe they could deliver food to the hospital, but my my assumption would be the hospital would tell them that it's not needed. Now, as someone who's been in an, in a hospital for an allergic reaction and having had them actually give me a Bakewell tart that has almonds in that I'm actively allergic to, even though I was there for an anaphylaxis to nuts, I don't <laughs> trust that they can... What? Hang on. You were in the hospital for an allergic reaction to nuts and they gave you yes. a tart that had nuts in it? Yes. Yes. Oh, no! <laughs> and I- and I didn't eat it because I, I know that it's, yeah. I'm like looking at it thinking that's a fake quarter. I know it's got almonds in. So I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust them to, particularly when they're so busy with everything else, I wouldn't necessarily trust them to take my, if I'm there for something unrelated to my allergies, I don't trust them to take my allergies that severe, seriously. And so the biggest worry for me would be if I'm hospitalized for something else, that I'm going to be in the hospital and then they're going to feed me something that I'm allergic to and then we're going to have an anaphylaxis. And yeah. then, then you've got multiple things going on. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me would be kind of um, other kind of care and things if I was hospitalized. Um, I'm also, I mean, I am asthmatic. I'm fairly, I'm mildly asthmatic, but it is a, a risk factor for me. Um, so possibly if I got COVID, I would, I would struggle more because of my asthma. Um, right. uh, so I think it's just the, the unknowns with it, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah. it's the unknowns of, 
it's a big and scary thing for everybody and for those that are already ill. Um, I think one thing I think about a lot is actually if I did get it and then had other chronic health conditions out the other side, if I did survive, but then I had developed something else. Like a lung um, thing or like, yeah. As a consequence of it, you know, I spent so much of my life being unwell and going 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 up and down on a roller coaster of you know how well am I this year how much can I do can I still work can I do this that or the other and right now I'm in a period of my life where I'm probably the most well I have been for five six years and that's great and it means that I'm kind of you know I'm not I'm still struggling with my chronic illnesses, but I am still, I'm getting to achieve things. I'm no longer housebound. I'm, I'm, I hold down a job. I'm independent. I live on my own. I live with a roommate, but like, I don't have to have people caring for me. Um, and I don't have to kind of be live with my family anymore. And, and I, you know, and that's all great. I think one of the concerns would be contracting anything like that is going backwards and having something else chronic on top. That means that, okay, now I have to kind of, take all those steps back in my life and and um and and i suppose it isn't a step back that's just kind of how i No, but i mean it, it kind of is because nobody wants to nobody wants to like when you have kind of illnesses when you have disabilities and you're having a good day or a good few months you're like everything's great and then all of a sudden when you have a setback you're like oh fuck well how do i it's really tough to reevaluate your sense of comfort when something knocks you and so if, if covid mm. not if covid gets you I'm not saying, mm-hmm. well, everything's not, I'm knocking out all the woods and it's not going to, but if COVID mm-hmm. got somebody who had already a chronic thing and then they had to reevaluate again, that's stressful. Having mm-hmm. to reconsider how this new thing had entered our already well-adapted, well-adjusted, like, you, we know how to handle, you know how to handle your fibro. You know how mm-hmm. to handle all the things you, you manage. I don't know if I can handle something on top of my mm-hmm. CP. I'm not sure how I would feel about that. Mm-hmm. And I think, and and the honest answer is with a lot of chronic illnesses that aren't, where they don't really know what's happening. I mean, I have fibromyalgia where I think fibromyalgia is the type of thing that you get diagnosed when you have chronic pain and they don't know what's, what it is, you know, it's a pain problem. And they, I feel like there's probably a lot of people that have fibromyalgia, you know, they don't understand what specifically causes it it's just a chronic pain condition and that's the diagnosis you get so there isn't anything to say that if you get other illnesses on top of it it may make it better it may make it worse you know they just there isn't enough research to known to be known about these conditions um and i also had chronic fatigue syndrome or me as a child now i kind of think that's like sort of the flip side of fibromyalgia i I personally believe that it's the same thing that's wrong with my body. It's just it's presenting as chronic pain now, whereas when I was a child, it was presenting as um, other symptoms, but, you know, severe tiredness and muscle pains and sore throats and things like that. But that started after about a flu. I had flu uh, as as a 10 year old and I never recovered. So there's uh, the you know, I'm seeing people talking about chronic fatigue syndrome as a long term problem for people that recover from COVID. Um, and so one of the concerns there would be I've had it before and, you know, it did sort of seem to go away or at least morph into other chronic illnesses. But if I contract something like COVID, will that come back again? Will I have another of my previous, you know, yeah. will I have chronic fatigue syndrome back? Yeah. Um, that, that's really scary because that, that again, it'll be, could be just as debilitating as, as it was the first time when I didn't go to school and, and I couldn't work. Maybe or, worse you know. so, like, like. And that's why it's so. Fr- that's why it's so frustrating because, like you just said, I'm so happy with my life right now. Like I'm doing okay. Things were good, and mm-hmm. then COVID. And so now, the fact that we might get it and lose our ability to do what we're already doing is really, I mm-hmm. think, really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And because nobody knows, and nobody, nobody is talking directly to disabled people who are considering all this, except for like. The disabled people talking to each other, yeah, but like the government isn't mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, we're here for yeah. you, disabled people." They're just mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, I'll deal with your vulnerable. Best of luck to you." And it's like, "Well, but what if you, were, <laughs> what if you're in that group?" Yeah, and I think you know one thing that's happened over here is that um, you know the government are trying to identify and help vulnerable people, but they've put a term on what they term vulnerable, and then they've shifted services that people like myself used to like be independent all the time and it feels like a small thing to be moaning about but I can't I don't find it easy to get an online delivery slot anymore and I get my food so hard it's so even here it's impossible I get my food delivered weekly because I can't really push a shopping trolley and I live in a flat so we have a lift but getting it out of the car and in here 
Um, I get my food delivered every week and I've been doing that for years. And now the government have created this vulnerable list for people that can't go outside and they've told the supermarkets, these are all the vulnerable people, please prioritize them with your shopping. Um, so it means that people who, you know, who use just that as fall a fairly expensive Yeah, and people who just fall within the cusp of like, you're not vulnerable enough to be considered vulnerable, but you're still, you still need it. Yeah, I get it. Absolutely. You know, and it and it's things like that. I mean, they feel like small things to, to be concerned about when other people are, you know, really struggling. But it is having a big impact on my day to day of, you know, um, when we can't get online shopping, either myself or my roommate need to go shopping. And we have been lucky. I mean, when I'm awake in the middle of the night, I managed to book online shopping <laughs> slots. I mean, one of the benefits of not being able to sleep because of pain is like, I'm awake at four o'clock in the morning. I should check the shopping slots. And then I usually get one. <laughs> that's what I did. That's what I did yesterday. I couldn't sleep either, so I went on my online shopping thing, and I was like, oh, "There's a spot. It's not till yes. it's not till like Wednesday at four, but I'll take it. Great, yeah." And you get so excited, um, but you know, I also pay someone to help me with my housework because I struggle to Hoover and clean and things like that, and um, I'm very lucky to be in a position to be able to pay someone to help me to do that. Um, and obviously she's not coming anymore because she's protecting herself and not going in and out of people's homes, which I totally respect. I think that's the right decision. And of course. I'm still paying her anyway, because I think if you can afford to pay people that are normally coming to see you and they have had to stop because of COVID, they shouldn't lose out on their income, particularly people who are on low incomes anyway. Um, but, you know, it's that kind of practical thing. So I, I do feel like I'm kind of gone back to like surviving mode. Um, of, of like you know there's more physical like cooking and cleaning and shopping that I have to do that I don't normally do um, and I'm very lucky that you know I have those services that I can access normally that help me save my energies to be more independent and use it for work or use it for other things yeah um, you know I've forgotten what the original question was I went off I mean time. that's great it's okay it's <laughs> quarantine and chill it's all right um so you mentioned in your in your little quarantine and show questionnaire to me that you wanted to kind of chat a little bit about sex and COVID and like <laughs> sex and quarantine. And so let's do that. I just thought that like the last of our, our last, I, re, I re-listened to our interview that we'd done last night, <laughs> the first one. And I was like, oh my God, this is all about sex. Because I think, you know, your podcast was a bit more sex focused then, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's been more broad now. And um I, I thought, well, uh, you know, if we want some, like, light relief, we can chat about that. So, right. I mean, although well, after I wrote it, I was like, there is really no updates because I'm quarantined. Because <laughs> you can't get anywhere, so. so... <laughs> um, <laughs> are you feeling, like, more, because I'm feeling, I'll be blunt, I'm feeling super horny all the time right now because I can't do anything. And I also have a catheter in for the next foreseeable future because who the fuck knows, like, when this is going to end, so I thought if I put a catheter in, I won't have to worry about someone touching me all the time, and I'll reduce mm -hmm. the chances of, like, infection happening. So, like, my mm -hmm. whole sexual, like, organs, I can't, they're done until this thing is uh, done. And so I'm very uh -huh. aware that, like, I want touch, and I want intimacy, and I want sensuality, and I can't have it and it's really stressing me out in a way that I didn't think I like and I'm used to not having a lot of sexual contact mm. anyway unless I'm hiring somebody or working with a worker like I'm used to not having that on a regular basis but now that I can't even access my like worker to be like hey you want to come over and like get me off I can't even do that now so mm. it feels it's, there's a whole other sense of loss that I'm experiencing that I didn't think I would. Like, I'm, like, I'm watching way more porn than I ever usually do. Like, I'm trying to find ways to connect with my sensuality more than I did would before. Mm. And that's good. I mean, I think that's important. It's, um, And I think it's the thing that, that people are not really... You know, I'm hearing a lot of people talking about the fact that there's going to be a baby boom because everyone who's quarantined with their partners like having lots of unprotected sex, um, and then and then there's all the people that are quarantined without their partners who are kind of going a bit stir crazy. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing in terms of my disabilities is that is loss of like physical intimacy and touch. Yeah. So I mean, we talked about this in in the in our original episode about how. Um, you know, intimacy and sex is an amazing pain relief for me. Um, and, you know, I can access some of that through masturbation, but it's not as good. Um, and so I'm I'm missing kind of positive 
positive experiences of my body um, through intimacy and touch and sex um, because my body's in pain all the time. And actually, one of the ways I access good stuff in my body is cuddling other people and dancing with other people. I mean, it doesn't even have to be sexual. It can be, you know, um, partner dancing and, and things. Just, and, yeah, I'm really, and I really, and that's something I'm really missing. And actually, I, you know, I, I live with um with a roommate, and we were sat on the sofa the other day, and he just put his legs on on mine because they were stretched out. And I was like, this is the first time someone's touched me in like six weeks. And wow. I was like. Oh my god! Like because we're not touchy feely, we don't we're not cuddly or you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that made me really realize how much I miss like that physical intimacy. Um, yeah, I'm missing it pretty hardcore right now. Like I'm like, I'm texting my workers and texting anybody that anybody that there might be an inkling of like sexual tension. So we're being like, hey, you want to talk yeah. about that? Cause, like, yeah. <laughs> can we please talk about that? Yeah. And I think I'm not, I mean, to answer your original question, I go through, I'm going through phases. Like most of the time I'm pretty chill and not, and not horny. Just to put it bluntly, I'm pretty like, my libido is pretty low because I'm not around my partners. So I'm not like getting all riled up. Um, And I'm very tired and lethargic and sleeping a lot. So that doesn't really, it's not really conducive to feeling super sexy. But I am going through phases of like perking up and feeling like, you know, I'm I'm missing missing sex and missing intimacy. But um, one thing I would say is, um, I mean, <laughs> I saw some stats the other day to say that like sex toy sales have like tripled during quarantine. People are like because they're home on their own, so they're like buying sex toys. And um, one thing I would say is I've I've been realised that like because I'm spending more time on my own and not having sex with other people, there's been some like new explorations for me and through masturbation oh. and, and things like that. So that's exciting. Like having this enforced time where I'm not having sex with someone else to explore more things for me. To like figure that's out right. how your disabled body, yeah, yeah. How your disabled body like takes pleasure, what that means to you, all that stuff. That's that's great. That's a really, that it, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that, but also I am because like usually right now, most of the people that I talk to haven't said like what they're, how their sex life has changed. So you're the first one that's really mm. kind of laid that out. So thanks for that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my last couple questions for you are, what advice would you give to disabled people right now, like yourself or in different situations than you? What advice would you give to the disabled population right now going through COVID and like trying to trying to go through all this? What advice would you give to specifically if you could talk in the mic to just disabled people right now what would you tell them Mm -hmm. I think my biggest thing would be just be kind to yourself and don't beat yourself up about anything don't feel like you should be doing anything specific like just surviving right now is hard and it's hard for everyone and so um you know just give yourself space to to not do all the things you might have people on your social media who are you know doing activist work and doing loads of creative things and like that's wonderful and if you have the energy to do that and you and you have the inclination to want to do that then absolutely go for it if it's going to help but i think there's a lot of us out there who are you know doing the basic the basic necessities right now of looking after ourselves or letting other people look after us or accessing the help that we need um and it's it's I mean, I feel like the last few months, few weeks, well, months now, is really just feeling about surviving um, and just getting through. And, like, that's just okay. Um, like, things will change, and hopefully we can get back to a normal, a more normal sense of, you know, the world and the burden hopefully will be lifted a bit. Um, but, you know, just be really kind to yourself and know that you don't have to do anything right now um, apart from, you know, survive. And listening <laughs> to this great pocket. No. <laughs> Yes. Um, even that is optional. Yeah, that's optional. totally optional. Um, and then on the flip side of that, what advice would you give to non-disabled people who are who are doing this for the very first time? Um, do you know what? I think the, the, I think the advice is pretty similar. Like, there will be an adjustment period and a period of grieving. And every time something changes, it's really hard. And you will grieve all the things that you've lost. Um, and I think for people who are going through this for the first time, uh, I think one of the things to bear in mind is that something always changes and um, it won't stay like this forever. And one of the benefits of this quarantine over 
other times that I've experienced this is that we do know that this will end or shift in some way. And that is a benefit that we all have right now over, say, getting a chronic, you know, getting a, an illness diagnosis or being ill, you know, particularly if you're isolating and you're healthy or you're isolating and you, you haven't had a big change to your to your health status, then you know that this will change and this will this will end um, and and it will get better and we will be able to go and do all the things we want to do. Um, but it's also OK just to be really sad and and be upset about the things that we've lost, even if those things feel really small and inconsequential. Of, I'm really angry. I can't go outside today. I'm really angry. I can't see my partner. Because I hear a lot of what people are saying is, but everyone else has it worse than me. You know, so-and-so's partner is ill or so-and-so's lost their family member. Um, but like, this is a really hard time for everyone. And that doesn't, just because some people are going through some really tough things right now, doesn't mean that the, the, the losses that you're feeling are inconsequential. I would say but also something we have to remember too is like, yes, we know this will go away. We know this will change. We know this will end at some point. What we can't not we what we can't do is forget the memory of what this was like. Mm. So my advice to not to say people and I've said it before and I'll say it again, don't forget this. Even when it's over, mm-hmm. don't forget this because right now is your chance to to really reconsider your values as a, as a non-disabled person and really reconsider not your entire values, but your your values around work and productivity and, like, who mm-hmm. has value and who doesn't. And if you remember this, the next time a disabled person says, like, I need to take a day off because I'm having chronic pain, if you remember this moment, then mm. you maybe you'll be kinder to them when they say that to you. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the things that I'm... I mean, I, I'd like to be really hopeful that the fact that we have had these really quick shifts in access you know every big business has moved online within a week and they know they can do it and the reason they've done it is because you know it impacts the whole of their workforce and therefore they have a real priority that if they want to continue working they have to get everyone online quickly yeah. and they have to get everyone working from home and I'd, I'd love to think that after this ends and everyone goes back to working in offices, that, that there will be more inclusion of people who want to work at home and more inclusion of people that can't work full time and could work more hours from home than they could if they were in an office. But, you know, I don't I, I don't feel super hopeful that actually when we kind of go back to normal um, in inverted commas, that, that, that there will be more inclusion. And, and so I think the, the message really is like, yeah, try and remember the, the the lessons that we've had from this and, and try and then include the people that don't go back to effectively normal or they go back to their own normal, which is different from yours of, of not being able to leave the house and, and as much and, and to do everything that you're doing. I just wanted to go back to a question that I've heard a lot. With mm. the COVID and COVID right now, after all the restrictions are lifted, a lot of disabled people are going to have to quarantine longer just to make sure they're okay. How do you feel yeah. about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whether um, I don't know whether I it's something I haven't really thought about to be honest because I've not been told that I am at the most vulnerable by you know the guidance in our country. Um, I don't know how long I should quarantine for. I think I certainly will be cautious about. Um, you know, in reintegrating and and things. And I do think I found, I mean, I found the first two to three weeks highly anxiety inducing. I had a lot of symptoms and I was worse, but I have found myself a kind of stability and a normality of kind of ticking along daily and focusing on, you know, cooking is reducing my anxiety and just doing kind of the basic practical things. I, I have found myself a new stability and a new normal. And so um, actually, if this goes, if I have to do this longer than other people, I think I will be okay. I think the sad thing will be the loss of everything that is helping me right now. Like, you know, everything that's online that is really accessible and my friends checking in with me regularly. If they all go back to life regularly and are seeing each other in person and are, uh, and have, and they move on quicker than all the disabled people that are still in quarantine. Yeah. You get that thing that we were talking about earlier where they all start to move on and the disabled people get left behind again. Um, and, yeah, and that's one of my worries that we'll all go kind of back to normal and these these accommodations that were put in place so easily will just be lost. Yeah, that is something that I think about often. And then, like, those are my anxiety dreams that I'm having right now is, like, 
what if I am stuck in here longer than everybody else? And how mm-hmm. am I going to fare when everyone else is happy again and I can't be? Mm-hmm. Or how am I going to fare when everyone else in my community, because I'm a queer man, when, everybody else in my, when all the hot dudes in my community are fucking each other again? And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, sorry, I gotta wait another three months. Like, how am I gonna do? <laughs> like, yeah, that's how I feel about it. But this was so much fun. I have missed you more than I realized when we started <laughs> talking. I was like, oh wow, I gotta talk to Charlie more. So I'll be checking Yay! into you more with. I'll be checking in with you more often because I realized how much I missed you right now. So this yeah. is such a great chat. Uh, thanks for coming on episode number nine of Quarantine and Chill. Wow, we're already nine weeks into this whole thing. Wow. <laughs> Um, but how do people get a hold of you? How can they, they tweet you and check in with you? And how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I am uh, cgarner21 on Twitter. Uh, I have a big old... <laughs> I have 28 followers. A big old 28 followers right now. So if you come follow me, you'll be number 29. <laughs> um, I don't use Twitter a lot. Um, <laughs> I use Twitter to follow other people and to kind of keep clued in because uh, if you heard our first chat with Audrey, you'll know that I wasn't on Twitter and I am now on Twitter. Um, but I do get DMs there so I can keep in touch with people there. But um, uh, yeah, so send me a DM there if you want to chat about a thing. I will make sure that Charlie's Twitter is in the show notes because... She is somebody you should be following, especially during this time. You have all this time to chat with other disabled people, so use it, because we're great. Uh, yeah. So, Charlie, this was Quarantine and Chill, and I'm going to talk to you after I press off, because we have more we should say. But this is great. Thank you so much for coming on today, and um, I will, <laughs> I'd love to have you back sometime when the world is sort of quote-unquote normal again. I would love that. And next time you're in London, I will absolutely see you, because I'm I, so excited for you. I am setting up for the minute I'm able to. I'm like, I've already just my mom, we're going. We're going to go to London. I don't care. Yes, yes, not, yes, yes. I'm it, so excited. It was so great. I loved it there. Um, all right, Charlie Garner, thanks for coming on Quarantine and Chill, episode nine. And I'll be back next Thursday with a new episode of a regular Disability After Dark. And then Friday again with a new guest for Quarantine and Chill. Already... Wow, we're almost 10 episodes in. Holy shit. Okay, great. So, (laughs) thanks everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, friends, that's another episode of Quarantine and Chill, the podcast within Disability After Dark, where I sit down with disabled thought leaders and check in on how they feel about the pandemic and disability. If you want to be a part of a Quarantine and Chill with me, another episode, and I, I foresee these going on for the foreseeable future because... Everyone's in lockdown until who knows when. If you want to talk about all that with me, send me an email to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com using the subject line quarantine and chill, and we would love to have you. All right, friends, well, stay as safe as you can right now. I'm here for you. If you ever want to reach out to me directly on social media, you can go to It's Andrew Gerza on Twitter or Instagram, and I'd love to chat with you. But uh, thank you for listening to episode 9 of Quarantine and Chill. And we'll be back on Thursday with a regular sexy episode. And then on Friday again with another Quarantine and Chill. Thanks, friends. Stay safe out there. Bye. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020